You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be chatting to Val Bartman. He is the leader of a security dynasty in South Africa. And, of course, those who are sports fanatic, he is a South African rugby legend. But first, let's chat about the week that was. Um, in terms of the Zondo Commission, Colonel Rulofsa from the DPCI has been giving testimony relating to his investigation into the Secret Service Fund that was under the control of crime intelligence and at the time General Richard Mdluli and General Solly Lazarus. Some startling revelations at this week's uh, Zondo Commission, including alleged payments to journalists, including Sunday Times journalist Rangini Munsami. A lot more is set to come out in the next year that the commission will be running. Sticking with the commission, one of the people allegedly involved in state capture but who never ever had the opportunity to give his right of reply, Gavin Watson, who passed away recently, his family has come out and they've intimated that they believe that if their father was murdered, then they know who the murderers are. That must be the most cryptic headline and the most cryptic story to have come out of the news in recent, in recent months, if not years. If our father was murdered, we know who murdered him. What are they not telling us? What is going on with this really, really bizarre story? We have so much to explore that uh, I'm really looking forward to our chat with Val that will be coming up straight after this. I'd just like to remind you that the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of High FM, its presenters. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. I'm honored today. Um, one of my heroes is, is in the hot seat, Mr. Val Bartman. Val Bartman heads up one of the biggest security companies in South Africa, if not the biggest. Um, he seems to be just buying up everything in sight. Um, Val, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you for the invite. Val, you literally come from a dynasty. Your family have been involved in security since the 1960s. Um, your dad was a legend in the security industry with Springbok patrols, and he sat on what was the newly formed then Security Officers Board, which only came into effect in 1987 to govern security. Tell me a bit about your childhood and about your dad and about growing up around this whole security industry. Well, we, we grew up in the business. Uh my father used to be a well he used to be a railway policeman and uh, uh you know too many children not enough money he decided to go on his own and started a business and uh, he started private investigations um and that ended up we resigned in 1963 the year that I was born and uh, he started a security company which was called Springbok Patrols and um yeah he's been involved with it I think he's been one of the legends in the industry, and uh, yes, he formed the security officers board and uh, built it from there. We grew up in the f- in in the business, so uh, every holiday, every day, we used to work in the business. And uh, a big family of five five uh, children, my mother and everybody worked in the business. And how do you think it grew so big? Your dad seems to come from a humble background. He didn't sound like somebody who went to university and studied business management. This is a man that was in the railway police, got involved in private investigations, decided that he saw a gap in the security industry. What did he do that was differently in your opinion? Well, I think he was very committed. They they were a poor family. They they didn't add much. And... uh 
I think, you know, uh, when he got involved with the security officers board, he only had standard eight. And, and uh, when they started that, they said, well, the, they, they're look, looking for matric and not standard eight. And he said, well, then it would be a problem, so I wouldn't be able to serve on the board. And um, so we all grew up in the family. He's dedicated. He worked very hard. And I think he laid the foundation for us as a family to, to grow up and, and to pass his skills and expertise onto us. Was it a tough upbringing, being poor and not having the, the business reach the success that it reached in later years? Well, you know, we, we, we worked hard. Um, it, it, as I said, poor, we, you know, we didn't add everything. And, you know, everybody look at our business today and they say, well, ah, it's so successful. But it was very difficult. Um, in, in the early years, you know, my, my father used to go to the pawn shop and, uh, he would, would, uh, hand in my, uh, his wife's, uh, my mother's ring. Uh, to pay wages for the security officer. So it's been difficult. And everybody believes that, you know, it's just the easy road and suddenly you're there. But it's been a long, hard road. And, and I think the commitment and dedication uh, from him and my mother really assisted us to achieve and build this business that we've got today. Where did you school, Val? I was in Florida law school, and then I went to Florida high school. So we all stayed in the West Rand, and uh, we all grew up there. Monument must have been sad that they missed out on you, eh? Yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, we, we it was close to our house, so we used to walk to school and back. And uh, my son now, he's been in, uh, in uh, Monument, so I've moved him to Monument. But uh, I think Florida was good, and we did well at, at, at that school. Monument, we used to look to Craven Week to find out uh, who the forwards would be. Because guaranteed for Transfer South in those days, if you wanted to know who the forwards were going to be, you looked to Monies. Is it still like that? Yeah, I think they play a huge role in, in, in dominating uh, the Craven Week players, etc. Um, yeah, I think I was the probably, oh, well, I was the first Springbuck out of Florida Worst School to be, and we know that Monument, you know, they've delivered a lot of players and um, uh, they're, they're great school and they're very uh, well organized Let's talk about your rugby career That must have been exciting for you um, and, and my main question How the hell did you land up in Natal of all places? <laughs> um, so uh, when I started playing I was actually a hooker So I uh, started primary school I was very fortunate I was number 20 of the B side So I just made Craven Week, and those years it was in Wormbrandstadt. And uh, then, uh, of course, high school, we've got my brothers. Uh, my brother, Leon, also played SA Schools. And Francho, me, Francho and Leon played together for Transvaal for the Lions for a year, for a year or two. And uh, from there, you know, I, I, I got SA Schools, SA Universities, and then, of course, uh, playing Provincial. And then uh, becoming a Springbok later in those years. And being a Springbok um, in those years, um, what was it like? It, it, it was in South Africa to be a male growing up in, in, in South Africa. Everybody wanted to, to do something sports-wise, and everybody looked to rugby as being the, 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 the prominent, prevalent sport. Um, for, for your family, for you, the honor of becoming a Springbok, um, what did it do for you? Well, you know, I think I was the underdog in the family. I think that uh, 
probably my father thought that uh, my brother would become the first Springbok, but uh, I think it added a lot to us. My father played for those days for the Quajas many, many years ago, and he played for Diggers Rugby. So he's always played rugby, and, and everybody grew up, and, you know, every afternoon when we got home, we will play rugby on the lawn, and, of course, when you're the youngest of all the brothers and you're playing against three or four bigger brothers, uh, it's always been difficult. But uh, it's added a lot of uh, character to, to, to me. Uh, I've learned in, in the school that I've been in, the primary school, we've lost all, almost every game with 30 points. Um, so it was, it was difficult, but uh, you, you learn from it, and you learn how to survive, you learn how to lose. And, of course, later you learn how to win and, and to accept it. And also to go the extra mile to, to, to understand that if you want to achieve more, you need to put in more than everybody else. And Val, the name that your, your dad chose for his security company, Springbok Patrols, did that have anything to do with rugby or was it merely because it was the emblem at the time in South Africa? No, that was, uh, it's got nothing to do with it. I think it was the name of the time and it was great and, uh, when, you wouldn't believe it, but at one stage we decided to sell our business and uh, we sold it to Fidelity and, uh, afterwards we got back into it again and, and then we had the choice to decide what we want to do. And, uh, thinking back, well, it's a very great name. I think everybody said they wanted to change the Springback, but they'll be there forever. And a lot of people still remember that name, Springback Patrols. I for one do. We're chatting to Val Bartman. Val is a South African rugby legend and, of course, the head of a security dynasty. When we come back, we'll be talking more about his journey in security in South Africa and how he believes security is going to evolve in the years to come. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. We're broadcasting in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and worldwide on chaifm.com. If you have a smartphone, there is an app that you can download. You can even set reminders about when you want to listen to any of your favorite shows or, of course, go to the podcasts and listen to any repeats on any of the shows that are on chaifm. Vol, you, you were a rugby player. That was your, your passion. Um, when did you decide to join the family business? Well, every holiday we worked in the business. So uh, in December, we never went away because that was a busy period. And uh, uh, the other brothers all went went to the police force uh, for their military training. Um, I went to the army for my two years, but my father wanted me to study. And uh, the other brothers had the opportunity, but they didn't select to do that. And uh, he wanted me, well, I, I studied law and I, and, I, and I finished my law degree and um, then went back into the business. So working full time, uh, studying and, and being involved with the business, we started over that and that's where we grew up in this business. And uh, after the military training, I came back into the business and uh, my father decided, well, it's... Uh, he was ill, he had heart problems, and uh, he decided that he had to appoint somebody to take the lead. Me as the youngster was, of course, not the the favorite. You know, the oldest brother normally would get that, but he was in Durban. He didn't want to move to Johannesburg, and uh, nobody actually wanted the job, and my father gave it to me. 
Now, as a family business, um, you had other family members involved. You even had in-laws involved. Is it difficult working with family? It is difficult, a family business. But what I can say to you, when we stand together, everybody's behind you. And, and, and there's a lot of trust and uh, a lot of culture in our business that, that came from the family. And even if we're a very, very large company today, I think a lot of that culture and, and, and family perception, we try and maintain and keep that in our business. Now, when one looks at Springbok patrols in the mid-1990s, they were posting more guards than any other company in South Africa. So from a labor-intensive business, they were the biggest security company. But they were also buying up other companies that weren't involved necessarily in guarding. I remember when they bought one of the um, northern suburbs armed response companies, Supercops, and all of mm-hmm. other companies, and they started um, – Broadening the security services that were offered, including cash in transit, which is extremely dangerous. Um, do you think it was the right move to get involved in cash in transit and all these others? Or do you think the organic growth within guarding you could have maintained and just become a powerhouse throughout Africa? Well, the guarding business is actually where everybody, everything comes from. So we employ about 55,000 staff currently and, uh, we, we built the business. We grew up in that and, uh, uh, we, when we sold our business, we were small in cash and transit and we signed restraints, but later we got back into the business. And I think to diversify our business really assisted us. And I think the, the vision that we had was to become an integrated end-to-end solution. So if you need security from electronic systems, armed response, guarding, cash and transit, uh, we would be able to provide that. I see you have a passion for choppers at the moment. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm also busy with my license. I've gone solo. I'm now busy studying at my age. But uh, I hope within the next few months I would be completing my course. But I think what we've done is the, the air support we're using a lot in our cash and transit business to, to support our staff on the ground and to provide backup and surveillance. I, I don't want this to sound wrong. But to me, it's almost a rags to riches story. When you, when you talk about your upbringing and your father's financial predicaments, having to pawn your mom's rings to pay wages, etc., to form a company like Springbok Patrols, which became so big, and to then buy out brands that are household names, like Fidelity belonged to the Rennies Group. Rennies was massive in South Africa in the 80s. And Fidelity Guards, we all remember, is the mm. cash and transit company. And then to buy ADT, which is an American brand. There must be a massive sense of pride and achievement for you and your family. Yes, uh, it's been two big acquisitions. I think also the other one is the Pretoria Coin Cash and Transfer Division that we bought. And uh, it is risky business, but it's been tough. It's been difficult to make those decisions. But I think to provide a full end-to-end solution, an integrated solution, we had to take the next step. And uh, probably the next one would be to list. It's very interesting, the culture of security in South Africa, because I remember meeting John Bishop and Yvonne van Lochtenberg in 1994, 
And coin security at that stage, which was under their control, was run on very strong militaristic lines. John himself was still a reserve officer. I think he was a major at the time. Um, and they ran a training facility out in Haman's Kral, Gijima. And if you looked at the guarding structure, they wore uniforms that were French Foreign Legion based. If you looked at their vehicles, they were painted like military vehicles. And it was very necessary in those days. We had a lot of unrest, etc. We then saw the, the companies like Grey Security come and other companies where it was a softer approach. It was more a, a customer driven approach, not looking at protecting clients from unrest, from violence, from strikes, etc. And we then seem to have gone back. When we look in suburbs at these tactical responses, we look at the guys now carrying long guns, etc. What is your view on the evolution of security been? And do you think there's a it's, it's circular in terms of what we're seeing that we're now going back to this need for um, armed security? Yes, definitely. I think that uh, there needs to be a deterrent, and and we've seen this in. A lot of the shopping centers, etc., where there's no armed security officer, where it's a soft target. Uh, also, on, on the response units and the tactical units, definitely, uh, you know, if we get attacked as well as on, on the cash and transit, the groups are well organized. It's well organized crimes that we're fighting. And uh, um, unfortunately, uh, the police is not everywhere to assist us and to support us. So... We're looking at, we've got our own training centers, we're investing, we invested a lot this year again into training and, and we believe that we need to step up and, and, and train our staff even better and make them more competent. I'm chatting to Val Bartman, he is the head of a, a, a security dynasty in South Africa which includes Fidelity, ADT and Protea Coin. When we come back we're going to talk about the future of security in South Africa. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas, and uh, I'm honored today to have Val Bartman in studio. It's somebody I've been wanting to have a one-on-one chat with for a very long time based on his history within security in South Africa. His history dates back to um, the days he used to help his dad from the 60s with, with Springbok patrols all the way to today where he has a company that includes ADT, Fidelity, and other companies. Val, when one looks at security in the 1960s, before it became... Um, legislated in terms of the Security Officers Board in 1987 and then of course in terms of the Private Security Industry Regulatory Authority in 2001. It must have been very interesting and very much a cowboy environment in the, in the early 70s, mid 70s where people didn't really understand the need for security, reliance on the police and the security had to be hard. If they were looking after a site, they couldn't take nonsense. No, definitely you know, and I think with uh SOB and Ciro, everything, it's still not too well managed and organized. And uh, uh, the compliance in our industry is still not very good. It, it, it's it's uh, actually a lot of uncomplying companies out in the field. And uh, But definitely, I think there's been a huge change and approach. And, and uh, looking at technology coming in as well, playing a big, much bigger role in setting up your security and safety. Sirius just published a um, report on suspended companies in South Africa. And this particular list you can find on the Sira website contains hundreds, if not thousands, of companies that are not compliant. And the biggest complaint is that they're not paying their staff properly. Um, 
to me, it's, it's a labor-intensive industry. The staff are your product. How do you think these companies are able to skirt um, the boundaries of the law? And do you think CIRA is now taking the right stand by naming and shaming these these particular companies? No, definitely. If you, if you look at the non-compliance, it's huge. People aren't paying. If you look at who's paying at the Provident Fund for the industry, I think registered security officers are more than 500,000. Paying security officers or companies is about almost 200,000. So that's only registered. Then you've got all the unregistered companies and staff and people that, that's out there. So because of the unemployment rate, people are just too happy to get a job. And uh, the playing fields are not level out there. So when you tender or you quote, you can't compete on price because the guys are not complying. But it's important to look at the bigger companies where, you know, if things goes wrong, if the security officer is not registered or you're not complying, you might have a, a problem with your insurance or payment of any claims, etc. To be compliant, number one, costs money. Number two is time consuming, but it's so vitally important. But the biggest issue that security owners have is that those that are compliant complain that they are the ones who are targeted for inspections and that the, the companies that are not compliant, who are paying their guards a third of what they should be getting paid, etc., are able to escape because they're not actually registering properly or giving the correct details. What must CIRA do to, to, to right this massive wrong? Well, you're 100% right. Um, you know, CIRA quite often inspects our branches, our infrastructure, etc., and uh, uh, we have formed a bargaining council now, and uh, we will be appointing inspectors in the bargaining council to see if we cannot enforce more compliance and make sure that some everybody is complying. Um, what we must realize is that uh, the consumers also be playing a big part in this because they use companies that are not complying. And I think this is where... The problem lies. The consumer doesn't know that the act actually stipulates that it is the consumer's responsibility to ensure that the security company they hire is in fact compliant. But herein lies the problem. There are just over a hundred inspectors at CIRA nationally for an industry that is now the single biggest employer in the private sector. It replaced mining as the biggest employer. And CIRA as a body needs to take cognizance of the fact that there are so many uncompliant companies out there and need to appoint more inspectors. No, definitely. And that you need to inspect and you need to check. We, we, we see it every day. We see tenders going out and it's just impossible to compete on, on price. So definitely CIRA needs to put, get the act together, appoint more people and make sure that they do investigate and also um, you know, take further legal action against these parties. Father, well, it must be hard. It's, 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 there's, of course, a massive sense of pride, but it must be hard sometimes reconciling with the fact that you've got 55,000 people that look to you for leadership and look to you to maintain the brand, to keep the contracts, to keep everything going. Are you a micromanager or do you have a team that you delegate to that you trust? I've got a very good team um, uh, that, that supports me, uh, which a lot of them is also family. But uh, I, I'm quite involved. I don't think I'm the normal CEO that sits in the office. Um, I'm out. I, 
with a client is paying the bill every day, so we deal with complaints. I look critical at, at, at our business and I see where, where we've got problems and where we can improve. And I think it is important to look at yourself and, and evaluate yourself and say, and, and, and understand that we, we need to change. Otherwise, we would still just be a normal guarding company. So we need to go to the next level. And we need to take whatever expertise. And if we don't have those expertise to go into the market and find them. Well, they have all these wonderful buzzwords, USPs, unique selling points being one. And one has to ask, what sets aside one security company from another? If we're to compare apples with apples, two compliant companies, if they're recruiting their guards from the same source, the same pool, those guards are serial registered and that's all that they're actually required to post them. What must a company do differently to be able to make their mark? Well, zero is, is the basic minimum, and, and uh, we do a lot more than that. You need to do more. So we do polygraph tests on all staff, new employment, etc., and a lot of other tests. So you, you need to go further than just the minimum because everybody will just do the minimum, and uh, that's what we need to do. Going into the, the market of, of, of purchasing a company that's specifically orientated around armed response, where you now have a patrol officer responsible for a number of households, or estate management where you're very big, where you have a team that are looking after, um, big estates, where of course you have very well-to-do people who will complain about everything. Do you recruit a specific type of person? Do you look for a specific type of person for a different type of contract, for a different role within the different guarding or armed response sites? You, you definitely need you, you need to do that. You need to look at what, what is required. And uh, you'll also see a lot of the security officers are not even in our uniform. So we use uh, the grading system. Uh, for the security officers only as a paying method, but the skills required is the skills required for a specific job. So um, we've built our new training center also outside Pretoria where we're going back to the old days where people would go in and would attend physical classes and do some other training. As we're currently, you can write an exam and within a few weeks you would have all your, your grades. That seemed to work for COIN, having a place like Yajima all those years ago. And it set them aside, um, having this in-house trade, because they didn't rely just on what the security officers board said, this is the norm. And obviously, this is what Fidelity is doing. And I've seen it at estate level. I've seen it at retail level. And I've seen it at industrial level, where you do have different types of people performing different roles. Your HR and recruitment process must be a very, very, very tight ship. Yeah, what we've done is we, we bought a company called uh, Security Lab, so we can do all our tests and verify everything. So it, it is a full-time business. It's, it, it's, it's a business in a business, and we need to make sure that we get the right people in at the right levels. And, of course, we, we also differentiate in our business because a retail or security officer compared to armed response officer to a tactical support unit individual all of those should have different skills and, 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 and the approach should be different. So it's important that, that we get that right. And, uh, we, we spend an average of four to five million a month in our training centers to train. So all our own train, training centers are owned by us and we manage them and all the instructors are also, uh, employed by our business. 
We're chatting to Val Bartman. He's the head of Fidelity ADT in South Africa. Um, he mentioned earlier the technological changes that's taken place in security. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about security from the 60s through to security in the 2020s and what we can expect to see. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Welcome back to Confidential Brief. I'm in conversation with Val Bartman today, and we're chatting about security, which impacts on each and every one of our lives in South Africa. And it doesn't just impact on our lives in that we require security uh, to supplement what's provided by the state, but it's also a massive, massive employer. And when one looks at the other industries that support security, people don't realize just how massive it is. Somebody has to supply the security industry with uniforms, with vehicles, with fuel, with firearms, with burglar proofing, with cameras. It's just so big that one actually can't wrap their mind around it. And listening to Vol today, who has 55,000 employees, one realizes the enormity of such an industry. Vol, in the 1960s, um, a security officer would have a truncheon maybe. He'd have a set of handcuffs. And if he was lucky, maybe an old Webley revolver. What's changed? Well, technology came in and, you know, uh, alarm systems came in and, and you know, we all thought, my father, you know, everybody said, well, the security officer is going to disappear. They won't be there anymore because technology would take over. But that, that never happened. I think what we've seen is that you always need people. You need people to manage the equipment, etc. So what has changed is the technology, the, the, the access control systems, the patrol systems, the the protective gear that the security officers have, and also the communication that they have, uh, as well as the training, has has changed quite dramatically in this period. You made such an interesting point, because I hear this weekly, that security officers are becoming less needed the more technology there is. We heard this when we went from CCTVs that were working on switches and DVRs were introduced. We hear this now that people can monitor their own premises via their cell phone. Yet security has grown into the biggest employer in the private sector. Why are people so mistaken in thinking that technology is going to solve their problems and that you still need the human element? Well, the technology is there to support you. Um uh, but but uh, you know a security officer the, our security officers they do sleep uh, on duty so we need to manage that uh, we, if you have all the equipment and the support and technology there that that assists you to to perform better and to pick up and to be proactive and to support you and to assist your client in 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 creating a secure and safe environment so it's not only relying on the security officer but also looking at the technology, alarm systems, cameras, remote monitoring, everything. And then also a lot of people have moved away, but I think the security dogs are still, and we, we've got a few hundred, seven, eight hundred security dogs with us in our employ. And, and I must say that if you look at the stats of break-ins, etc., it's much lower on those sites than any other site. I remember they introduced guard monitoring systems 
and it was to ensure that the guard wouldn't sleep. He would have to, during a certain period of time, go to various points. And one of the initial systems, it almost looked like a baton. They had to take this baton, touch it at different touch points, and then put it into a reader, and it would it would say that they'd done their, their patrol. And these guys couldn't break it because they'd be charged for it, so they used to boil it. They would literally boil it. So there's some ingenious guards out there that would do anything, not to to fulfill their function, but that is an absolute minority, and it's very wrong of me to use the term God. It's a, it's a professional industry. They're security officers. What do you think has been the best tool developed over the last few years to assist management in supervising security officers, where you are going to have a very small percentage of Naughty, not necessarily criminal, but naughty guys that may sleep on duty, may arrive late on duty, or may leave sight early. You know, uh, the technology is there and it's great and, and it's changed. And, uh, you know, you do time and attendance now. You can do it on your phone, uh, by metric. Uh, you, you don't have to tag anymore. You can walk around, push to talk radius. You can get all your reporting there. The, the, the security officer can log on duty, off duty. All of that is possible now with technology, and uh, we, we use that. Of course, everything comes at a cost, but uh, the, the pricing has come down on that, and the technology and the innovation in these systems have improved. In the, Every year, there's basically new products that adds value to it and assist you to manage the security officer. Also, a panic uh, button, or if the security officer hasn't moved for an hour or two, it will, it will give you a, a, a notification to say that something hasn't happened. And, and the same on alarm systems, not waiting for the signal to come through, but start picking up if there's tampering or whatever on those systems. So technology definitely has added a lot to this. But it goes back to supervision, motivation of your staff, and dedication. We spoke about the fact that there's a, a, a legislative body, CIRA, that monitors the industry. You mentioned that a bargaining council was established, and there's a wage determination act that determines what the graded security officers need to be paid. So what do you as an organization do if all of this is so cut and dry to motivate and incentivize your staff to remain loyal to your brand if they can rather just go work somewhere else if it's cut and dry that they're going to be paid the same elsewhere? Well, we don't pay the minimum salaries. We pay more than that. Uh, I think we're one of the few companies that transport our staff. We have more than 4,000 vehicles in our business, so we, we provide, you know, it, it is a 12 hour shift. It's long for a security officer. You know, people say, but your guard is sleeping. Well, he's there for 12 hours. He sits there, it's cold, he needs to patrol, and uh, we need to support them. And uh, if he needs to get to work, he'll probably stand up two hours before. So probably you're looking at a 14, 15 hour day, which is very long. And, and we support them. So that we, we've got the annual awards that we give our staff. I think at the uh, annual and the CIRA uh, awards that, that will come this year as well. Uh, we, we basically normally get almost half of those awards would come to our business. Well, that's incredible. We're chatting to Vol about the fact that he is involved in, a, in an organization that employs 55,000 people. He's mentioned they have 4,000 vehicles on the road. I hate to know what the petrol and diesel bill is. And we're talking about how he maintains the sense of um, incentivizing and motivating staff. When you buy up another company, 
Um, some companies you've bought, you've bought and you've kept their brands because their brands may be international, may be very well known, but you've bought up dozens of other companies. Do you buy them up to get their market share or do you buy them up because they've done something special in the industry? I think it's a combination of both. Some of them are special. They've got certain things that, that, that we don't have those expertise and that we would acquire them. But uh, on, on others, the brands are great. I think ADT. Uh, we've made a lot of changes. The name is now Fidelity ADT, but uh, there le- there's a lot of good in that business that we're using and, and we're expanding on. And then taking the synergies out of these business, the best practices in both of these businesses, and consolidate that into one. And uh, by doing that is to enhance our product to the customer. We're going to take our last break of the day. When we come back... I'd like to ask Val what advice he would give aspiring businessmen, not necessarily those in the security industry, but those that are out there that believe they have a product and they just want to know what is the next step. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. I'm in conversation today with Val Bartman, who has established himself as the doyen of security in South Africa um, with 55,000 employees and a, a footprint that covers virtually every single town in South Africa. There's no way that uh, you can underestimate the power of the brand of Fidelity and ADT. And there's no way you can underestimate the importance of security in South Africa when one sees companies like this. Um, there's a lot of people that want to get involved in security. Everybody wants to own their own company. Nobody really likes to work for a boss. Um, and I don't like the term boss. I believe you can learn from leaders. You can learn from mentors. Uh, people that want to come into the industry, I think they think it's, it's, a, it's an easy industry. Set the record straight. Tell them what our industry is really about, Val. It's 24-7 our business. And, uh, you know, people... You only, it's actually sometimes you just get the negative reports coming through. If you look at the numbers that are, that, that, that you provide and, and the amount of services that we provide, it's actually not a lot of uh, complaints, but it is a difficult. You're working with people. You need to motivate them. You need to get them to work and you need to make sure that they are committed to the brand and to the business. And uh, saying that is, is to look. After your staff, I think that, that that's the other big difference. If you look at the ADT, the vehicle is armored, uh, the security officers are, have got bulletproofs, everybody. So we, we try and do a bit more for our staff and, and, and to be loyal to them and as well expecting them to be loyal to us. So at the end, it's commitment. It, it's every individual that needs to go the extra mile. I think if you don't play in the extra mile, you'll never get there. People that want to break into security at the moment, into the industry, um, you see a lot of smaller companies in communities where the, the, the chaps that are running these companies may have been involved with the local CPF at a stage, they may have been reserve force members, but they've, they've created what they believe is a niche in their community with tactical guards, etc., and tactical reaction. Then you've got the electronic guys, the guys that see the need for apps. And we, I'm sure you get in your inbox at least once a week, somebody who thinks he's come yeah. up with a great app. And you've got all these apps that are doing the rounds where you are, somebody's going to respond, somebody's going to help. If somebody really wants to make a difference in the security industry, where should they be looking? What should they be doing from a research and development perspective? 
Well, it depends. If it's technology and, and it's with people, if it's technology, you need to make uh, sure that you do all your homework, make sure that the product that you're going to sell is going to work as well as that you can execute on that. The other one, if you work with people, you need to make sure that you, you can work with people and, 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 and you can manage people. And actually, if you look at our business, it's dealing with people, it's dealing with staff, making sure that they do what we ask them to do. So it, it is a combination of both. As I said, you get loyal people in every organization and you get people that, that are just there for, for the money. They're there for the salary paycheck and, and, uh, if that only happens, then, then, then you're on the wrong track. It must be people that's got the passion. And I think you need to have the vision to where you want to go. Um, you know, we, we doubt ourselves a lot. And, and, you know, we, I can sit here and say to you, well, ADT was a big deal for us. It was a big bite. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we looked at that deal for a long time and, and, uh, had to decide, are we going to do it? It's going to take commitment. It was difficult in the last two, three years to put them together. But you need to have that vision. And, and of course, you need to back yourself and your team that supports you. Val, one thing I'm taking away from this particular conversation is that you mentioned the next logical step in this growth over the last five decades would be to list I know for one that if you list, I will be one of the first in line to start buying shares because security is a necessity, not just in South Africa, but worldwide. But you as a company, I need to ask the question, are you looking just at labor intensive security or are you also looking towards cyber security and protecting your clients from electronic threats? No, definitely, and I, and I think that's where you need to be open-minded and move into all these others. You'll also see that we've just launched the Fidelity Secure Drive, our own, own vehicle tracking system that, that's gone into the market that's doing exceptionally well. Uh, the cleaning business, also looking at that. And then, of course, what we've done in uh, ADT, we've looked at some of the uh, the businesses that was in there that they never used. So the, one of them are Sensomatic, the, you know, the electronic surveillance equipment, uh, that you've got in all the stores where you walk through and you hear the beam or, or whatever, all of that is part of that group, and we're focusing on that. The other one in that business is also fire. So you'll see that we, we're expanding into the fire industry as well because everything uh, needs the same supplier can do that. And uh, probably in, in next year you'll see that we would – we're so confident about our product that we'll start giving you insurance, which would be lower than our competitors uh, in the market to say that because we do your security, we can give you a better rate on insurance. Incredible. Val, before we close, on a personal note, you're a rugby legend yourself. Uh, we've seen in the World Cup how in the first game the Springboks wore a, the image of Chester Williams. What are your thoughts about the loss of so many of our, our 95 World Cup squad? It is sad uh, that, that you know, such a young age, if you look at James Small, I played with him, I played a bit with Chester, and uh, I think the lesson is that we need to take every day and live 110%, and, and uh, it's sad. If you look at that group of the amount of players that passed away, uh, it's sad, you know, and people wants to think why and is it something to that, whatever. I think, uh, you know, we're just all blessed and uh, we need to stay humble and we need to stay on our knees and, and uh, thank God for all the protection that he gives us. 
very wise words and Vard's been an honor for me too and a privilege because I didn't just get to interview a rugby legend but I got to to interview somebody who's made such a profound um, difference in the lives of South Africans with regards to security and uh, I can only wish you well with regards to the future of the business because You've, you've achieved such incredible goals, but to now list as well as a future possibility, it's, it's taking it to the next level. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you very much. And if you wanted to know what the fuel bill is, it's around about 25 million a month. My word. Well, I'm going to leave you with three statistics I learned today. Uh, Fidelity ADT and associated companies employ 55,000 people, have 4,000 vehicles in their fleet. And their fuel bill is 25 million rand a month. With those thoughts, Val, thank you so much. And I look forward to chatting to you again one of the days. And I also look forward to seeing uh, your, your company listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Thank you very much for the invite and for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Confidential Brief Radio Show. With the, in our next interview, we'll be chatting to Andy Mashaili. He is the um, chairman of the policing board, and he's going to be chatting to us about the symbiotic relationship between the police secretariat, the South African Police Services, community policing forums, as well as safety and security MECs on a provincial level. That will be on our next show, Confidential Brief, next week, Monday.